good morning. It's great to be with you this morning. Don't make a mountain out of a... Hindsight is... The best part of waking up is... Oh, we're halfway there. Oh. You're stuck between a rock and a... Man, you guys weren't just going to let that sit, were, were you? I was not expecting all of you to finish the end of each one of those phrases. I was hoping that you would feel, and maybe you did, maybe that's why you said, finish those phrases, that you felt exactly what I felt when I got to preach through Second Peter except for the very last chapter. I had to finish out, and then I was slated to preach Second Peter chapter 3, Back in, I think, either the last Sunday in December or the first Sunday in January, and I didn't get to. And I was like, oh, I was so close to making it to the end. I just had to, I don't think, I'm guessing you probably, you had to finish, didn't you? You had to read through Second Peter chapter 3, so you kind of already know what's going to happen. But that feeling that you get uh, when you said, you have to finish it. You have to finish the phrase. You couldn't help yourselves. So finally... I know that you guys have been waiting for this for so long. We finally get to finish 2 Peter with chapter 3. Again, we predicted and tried to predict when we were going to finish this sermon series, when I was going to be able to preach this last sermon in 2 Peter. And we got our predictions wrong as I went back to my notes. There was a lot of, you know, bringing in the new year phrases and all of that. I'm like, well, I can't use that anymore. I can't use that anymore. Some of those illustrations of as we start the year, that sort of thing. So those are all gone. Predicting when I was going to preach this message didn't work out too well. But we like to predict things, don't we? We like to make predictions. Even this morning, I told Pastor Kyle he's going to make into my sermon illustration just even this morning. Because we were predicting, how long am I going to preach? My, we know my average of how long I usually preach. I think I might go over my average. So we're trying to make predictions. Am I going to go long or am I going to go short? You might be thinking, ooh, I might wonder what the odds are on this too. What do we want to predict? Will I speak long? Maybe. Well, we'll have to wait and see. But we like making predictions. March Madness We try to predict who's going to win the tournament. We like to predict what we're going to do this summer, right? We make our plans for what we're going to do. We try to predict, especially in the yearbooks, who's the most likely to succeed. We like knowing what's going on. Maybe even this afternoon, you have predictions of what's going to happen. But we know, as we've learned with 2020 and 2021, that our predictions fail, right? I love these memes that came of calendars that are pretty much useless. We try to make our predictions, make our plans, but we know really anything can happen. We don't know what's going to happen. So our predictions always come with a maybe, with a we'll see, with an I hope so. But when it comes to the predictions that God makes and the promises of God, those always come with a guarantee. They always come with an I told you so at the end of it. And as Peter closes out his letter to the believers, he is urging these uh, believers in Christ to remember the predictions of the holy prophets. 
remember, he's saying, remember God's word from the ancient words that have been spoken from the earliest days, even to today. He's saying, focus on the word of God. So let's look at 2 Peter chapter 3. We'll read verses 1 through 10 to begin with. Follow along with me. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring you up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is this promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water, and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire being kept until the day of judgment and destruction on the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, And the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Help us to love your word more. Help us to enjoy the word. Help us to lean on and trust in your word, as it is what will last throughout all eternity. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We start here with God fulfilling his word. God will fulfill his word. There are hundreds and hundreds of prophecies that are made in scripture. From seemingly small to big. Now there's the small prophecy of like Babylon being attacked by the Medes that Isaiah prophesied about that happened. To the maybe some of the bigger ones that we would see. As God providing a savior through the line of Adam and Abraham and David, and finally fulfilled in Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And Jesus himself fulfilling over 40 prophecies. And these prophecies be no small task. Not just like he went to this town, but being born of a virgin. Wow, that doesn't happen every day, right? Being able to perform miracles and coming from that line of David, dying on the cross and rising from the dead, Jesus providing a way of salvation. Jesus being the Messiah, fulfilling so many prophecies. It's easy to come to a passage like 2 Peter chapter 3 and just think and just focus on the implications of the end times, right? And if there's one thing I've learned as a pastor, it's that if you want people to come hear you preach, talk about the end times. And if you want teenagers to show up, talk about dating in the end times. That'll get them to come. But this passage isn't primarily about how do we figure out the order of events in the end times. This passage, when you put it together with the context of the entire letter, is really about the eternality of the word. It's about how God's word, in chapter 1, we see has, has everything you need for life and godliness. 
Later on in chapter 1, we see that God's word is exalted above even our own human experience. Remember Peter said, I saw Jesus on that mountain when he was transfigured. I saw his face shining like the sun, and we have a word that is more fully confirmed. And it's even uh, about how God's word in chapter 2, how you can be enslaved to a false word. So stay firm in the truth. And now we see how God's word is eternal. That is what's going to bring about the end times and is what's going to last even throughout all of eternity. So if you're wondering, he's saying here in verses 1 and 2, if you're wondering if God's word is true, Peter is telling you to check the videotape. Saying, go back, check the 4,000 years of this written history where God has made prophecies over and over and over again, and they have come true over and over and over again. Peter is trying to help his readers to trust in the word. And he implies here that Christians are even going around the church and they're talking about the Lord Jesus returning. Remember, that's what's going to happen. As they saw Jesus ascend up into heaven, remember, there was the voice that said, why are you still staring up here? This Jesus is going to come back in the same way that he ascended. And so they're not only talking about Jesus' resurrection, which in chapter 2, people were doubting that. They're saying, no way, that didn't happen. But these believers are actually, yeah, and he's going to come back. And with Jesus coming back, these scoffers are going to come in. Now, these, it sounded crazy to not just the, belie- the unbelievers, the people who didn't know Jesus, but this was even coming from people who did know about Jesus. Coming from both believers and unbelievers, like, wait, he's going to return again? It sounds odd. So here, let's look at what they're saying here in verse 4. Let's look at how they're making fun of these Christians talking about this return of Christ. They're saying, where is the promise? And there, Peter could have been like, well, I heard a voice from heaven say, he's coming back. Jesus himself said, he's come back. There's the promise. There it is. But these people are like, oh, where is it? I don't know. Jesus isn't here. He says, the fathers fell asleep. All things are continuing on as they have been from the beginning of creation. What a bold statement to make. Like, really? Already already there, these scoffers have proven they don't know anything about what's going on. Because Jesus had just died and been resurrected. The world is being turned upside down with these new churches started and people believing in Christ, believing in the gospel. And they're saying everything's all been the same. What? He's saying this is why we think that maybe some of these are even Christians doubting that this was going to happen. Because in verse 5 it says they're deliberately overlooking the truth about creation, about how God created with the power of his word, and even about the flood. That they believe the flood happened, but they're overlooking it, saying everything's been the same. Everything has not been the same. Just read through your Old Testament. Everything has not been the same. So much changes have happened. God has clearly been at work throughout all of Scripture, doing miraculous signs, fulfilling judgments, showing grace and mercy. How can anyone say that everything's the same as it was? But they're just showing their disbelief, not understanding what Jesus said that he would return one day. In verse 5, we see that the word of God created. It is by his word. And then verse 6, we see that the word of God destroyed. It came with the power of his word and that this destruction, this deluge, came to destroy the wicked. 
That was the purpose of it. And so as God brought this flood, he brought it for a reason to destroy the wickedness of man. Because remember, he did save Noah. And why did he save Noah? Because he was found to be righteous. He was found to be one who followed and loved God. And so as he goes on further in verse 7 to talk about this judgment and destruction of fire that's coming, it's coming for that same purpose, for the destruction of the wicked. These fires that are now kept because God promised that he's never going to flood the world again. So this destruction that's coming is going to come by way of fire. Judgment, in verse end of verse 7, and destruction of the ungodly. Again, they're thinking, this can't happen. There's no way. The scoffers will continue to scoff and mock. But even Jesus said this. I love these words. It is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. As we look at scripture, as we look at the words of God himself, he's saying it's easier with a word to destroy heaven and earth. And he did destroy the earth with a flood, right? How do you do that? With the power of his word. And how is he going to destroy heaven and earth? With the power of his word. Jesus is saying, if you're doubting that that could happen because it's so huge and amazing that could happen, he's like, that's actually simple compared to some part of God's word not coming true. That is much more difficult to happen because it can't happen. Because his word is solid His word will last until eternity. Isaiah 40 verse 7 says that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. The word is power. The word is true and the word will last. As proven to be true for thousands of years in the past and it will be true all the way throughout all of eternity. And as he continues on in verse 8, he tells them to kind of pause for a second. Because he's hitting them with this truth that the entire world, the heavens and the earth are going to be destroyed and the wicked will perish. I'm sure there are a lot of believers saying, oh no, there's people that I know and love that are going to be destroyed then. They probably had a great concern and a, a great compassion for their loved ones, their family or friends, saying, oh no, these wicked that don't believe in Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection, they don't believe in it. They're going to be destroyed. They probably had great concern for that. And Peter, anticipating their love for those who don't know Jesus, he says, but hold on. Don't overlook this one fact. He says with the Lord... A day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as a day. He's saying all hope is not lost because God is patient. And he's using this phrase as a poetry, uh, a callback to Psalm 90 verse 1 where he says, a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as just a watch in the night. So this verse of poetry helps us understand that God is not bound by time. His plans are better than our plans. He is infinitely patient. There was a commentary I read that tried to put an exact amount to this. Okay, if it is actually a thousand years as to a day, days as a thousand years, and he said, um, knowing that he's not meaning exactly literal, that's not what the passage is saying, but he said, if you were to take that literally, exactly as it is, he said, an 80-year life 
would only be a couple hours to God. I don't, you don't need to show hands, but how many of you are 80 or close to 80? Only but a couple hours to God. Doesn't seem like very long as, as it is, right? The a couple hours you spend at church this morning is your entire life. And I did the math. I actually mathed this. The two and a half years we went without out a senior pastor, three and a half minutes to God. Didn't it seem like a much longer time to us? Were many of you saying, man, this is taking too long? This is taking way too long. There's no way. I, something must be wrong because of how long this is lasting. You think God ever said that? You think God ever said, yeah, this is taking, I wasn't prepared for this. God is just a few minutes. God isn't bound by time. He's not restricted to the time frame that we have. So anytime you think that things aren't happening fast enough, it's not happening in your timeline. I wish this would go quicker. I wish change would happen faster. Remember that God, everything happens according to God's perfect timing. Trust in that. Rely upon that. And if God wanted things to happen sooner, it would have happened sooner. Every minute that God delays, look at verse 9, that he is not slow to fulfill his promise. Every day, every minute that God delays in sending Jesus to return again, it's another minute where someone who doesn't know Christ might get that opportunity. But I say might because they would only get that opportunity if you and I go out and tell them. If we are using this patience of the Lord as an opportunity to help people know about Jesus. It doesn't just magically happen just because God is patient. But we must go and share Christ with others. Because how are they to hear without someone who preaches to them? As Romans 10 says. I remember the challenge a couple weeks ago. I hope you remember it too when Pastor Zach challenged us with that. The thought of a church with solid doctrine without evangelism is a dying church. I don't know about you, but that stuck with me for a little while. That's, it just made me wonder, is that our church? Is that our church? Are we so focused and so much on us learning great solid truth here that we lose sight and forget about going and sharing that truth of the gospel with others? Now, to have solid gospel preaching and teaching is a great blessing. It is a wonderful thing that we must hold on to. Absolutely. We must have good doctrine. But is it really that good of a doctrine if it doesn't compel us to go out and share that with others? Do we truly believe it if we're not going to go tell people about Jesus? About this incoming judgment and destruction that's going to come for the ungodly? Do we truly believe it? It's good that we send money overseas for missions. Are we willing to do it here even in our own backyard? Now it is God's desire that none should perish, it says. He's patient toward you, wishing that any, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So then we have to ask the question. It's a tough question. Then why isn't everyone saved? First, we must understand it's important that everyone who is born, aside from Jesus is born with a sin nature and choosing to sin. This means we are not inherently good. It means that we are inherently evil. 
like those in chapter 2, and I'll reference them here a little bit later. If you remember back to chapter 2, the evil that was shown about these false prophets, we're all like that. Our destination is deserving of eternity in hell. That's where we deserve to go because of the evil that is in us. We have rejected a holy God and we are worthy of receiving holy destruction from God. So keep that in your mind as what you and I are deserving and then read how God is patient toward you. And who is the you that he's talking about? Well, it's the you that it's been the entire letter. In chapter 1, verse 2, chapter two or chapter 1, verse 4, chapter 2, verse 1, chapter 3, verse 1, whenever he is saying you, he is speaking to the beloved. He is speaking to those who are God's elect, those who God has saved. So God's patience towards them is God's patience in delaying the awesome day of the Lord until all whom he has called, all whom he has chosen, will reach repentance and be saved. I really like this quote from a theologian, Horatius Bonar, from back 1845. He says this, God chooses us not because he foresees that we would choose him or that we would believe, but for the very opposite reason. Remember our wickedness. He chooses us just because he foresees that we would neither choose him nor believe of ourselves at all. In Romans chapter 9, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. In God choosing who will be saved, in God being the one who opens eyes for salvation, there just highlights so many passages in Scripture. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Titus 3, 5. Romans 9 and 10. Galatians 2, 16. And so many more. It highlights that salvation is nothing that we have done, but is truly a gift of God so that we might not boast. So now the question shifts from why isn't everyone saved to why is anyone saved? How could anyone be saved with our sin and depravity of our lives and us being just so wretched in our sinfulness? Maybe even the question, am I a part of God's chosen ones? Am I a part of God's elect? Well, there's really only one way for you to know. Turn from your sin. Put your faith and trust in Jesus. If you trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, you will be saved. It's very clear in Scripture. Put your faith in him. Confess with your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you will be saved. That's how you can know whether you are part of God's chosen ones. Again, the truth of the fact that God opens even the eyes of one person shows immense grace and mercy of God because none of us deserve it. That wickedness that I referenced back in 2 Peter chapter 2 talked about the fallen angels, if you remember. They were in the presence of God, perfect beings, and they fell into sin and they were cast out of heaven. The wickedness in Noah's time, it says back in Genesis, where everyone had evil intentions in their heart all the time. God destroyed the world with a flood. That type of wickedness 
to the depravity displayed in Sodom and Gomorrah where fire and brimstone came down. That's the wickedness in our hearts. That's the sin that is deserving of this judgment. The fact that God has held back this day of the Lord from coming is so patient and gracious of him, isn't it? God loves you. And he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die for your sins. He rose from the dead, showing conquering over sin and death so that you might receive life. God desires that you repent and turn to him. He's delayed the coming of Jesus, maybe even for you right now, so that you might hear this message of salvation and turn to him this morning. And you can do that right where you are. Has God shown you the depths of your sin? Has God opened your eyes? Has he softened your heart to make you realize that you need Jesus? The day of the Lord is coming. Look at verse 10. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Meaning unexpected. It's going to be a time when you don't know when it's coming. Do you know Christ? Then from these prophets of old, as Pastor Zach's going to be preaching through uh, the 12 minor prophets this summer, I encourage you to be a part of that. Come and hear these wonderful truths from the prophets, from the ancient words. The predictions of the past will come true. Ezekiel, for the day of the Lord is near. The day of the Lord is near. It will be a day of clouds, a time of doom for the nations. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. It will be a sad day when the day of the Lord comes. Because it will be the last time that the wicked have an opportunity to repent and turn from their sins. It will destroy so many who have not come to faith in Christ. But this is the word of the Lord. That means it is God's word to you, and because he said it, it will come to pass. It will happen. This is God's word. Our disregard of Jesus coming back, or maybe us not taking it as seriously as we should, or even us taking it for granted, See, now our life doesn't seem to be going that bad, and it hasn't happened yet and for a while, so... Why do we really need to focus on it? Doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Doesn't mean this truth is any less true. Heaven and earth will pass away. It says works on it will be exposed. Are you ready for that day? And maybe you do know Christ. You say, I am. I know Jesus. Let me ask you this. Where will your neighbors be on that day? What will happen to them? Or your family members? This is the word of God. He has the power with his word to create. He has the power with his word to destroy. And he has the power of his word to save. As we continue on in this passage, again, I compel you, turn to Christ. Let's look at verses 11 through 13. Because of all this, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? 
But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwell. We need to anticipate, be excited about God fulfilling his promises. And as you are thinking through this last probably year or two, this is probably for our generation has been the most we've ever thought about the Lord coming. We probably said more times in these last couple years, come Lord Jesus. Am I right? We have to remember too, we don't want to miss this, that whether our life is going really well or whether it's not going well, we should always understand that it is better to be with the Lord. But with this, he says, what sort of people ought you to be? He doesn't really put it in a question, but it kind of looks like a question, doesn't it? Okay, now that you understand that the Lord's coming, that there's going to be fire and destruction for the wicked, what sort of Christian should you be? How should you live? And that's something that we often miss when we focus on end times, right? Oftentimes we just think, I just want to figure out the order of events. Why? So that I can know the order of events. How is that going to change in your life? Now, I encourage, we've had Wyman's class that has gone through Revelation. Now, I want to encourage those of you, maybe challenge you, those who are in that class, what has changed in your life because of your study of the end times? How have you been different? How have you been challenged maybe to go out and share the gospel now that you know what's going to happen? Maybe that compels you to say, man, I got to go tell somebody about Jesus. I sure hope so. But if you took that class and just thought, good, now I know. Is it just knowledge that's puffed up for you? What has changed? Here Peter outlines, I sat in one of his classes, and it was actually, he was going through 2 Peter, it was perfect. Um, 2 Peter chapter 3, and he talked about this, like our lives need to change. Something needs to be different about us because we know what's going to happen in the end. Because we know that God's word is going to come true, something needs to change in our lives. He says, we are to live holy and godly lives without spot or blemish and at peace. Sometimes we're tempted to think, well, I'm not going to be here for the destruction part. I know I'm not going to get destroyed, so I can just go and kind of live how I want to live. But really, God is saying here, the opposite is true. If you know what's going to happen, it should spur you on all the more. Be diligent to be holy and blameless. And in verse 15, he talks about these, or uh, yeah, count the patience of the Lord as salvation. Or verse 14, sorry, go back to verse 14. The, the waiting, the waiting for this and being excited about this coming of the Lord. And I love to tell this story. Maybe you've heard it before. If you have, bear with me. Um, the story of my professor's wife at Cedarville, uh, Mrs. Crago. And I love telling this story because it just gets me more and more excited about Jesus. Because I remember there was one day I walked into class and she told me, it was a beautiful day, you know, in the Midwest in fall. It's just the smells of fall and campfires, wonderful day. And she said, Matt, I think Jesus is going to come back. Now she was talking about the the rapture, you know, meeting Jesus in the clouds, not the end day of the Lord, fire and destruction coming. And I was like, so why why do you think today is going to be the day? She's like, well, it's so beautiful. Everybody's going to be outside. And then Jesus is going to come and everybody's going to be able to see it. And I was like, yeah, that'd be great, you know. Spoiler alert, it didn't happen. In case you're wondering, you're like, oh no, did I miss it? Didn't happen. But then the the reason why it stuck out, because the very next day, 
it was one of those miserable days, right, where it's cold and rainy, and Cedarville is surrounded by cornfields, so the rain never actually hits the ground. It just goes sideways, and you're walking to class with your umbrellas like this, running into everybody, and you get in, you're wet, and I remember walking in, and she looks at me, and she goes, Matt, I think today is going to be the day that Jesus is coming back. I was like, hold on. You said yesterday because it was so beautiful out. Like, why do you think it's going to be today? And she goes, because no one will expect it. Everybody's going to be kind of bad attitudes, the umbrellas, but then Jesus is going to break through the clouds and the trumpets are going to sound. And and I was like, well, that would be great. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Again, spoiler, it didn't happen, okay? Jesus didn't come back yet. But I just loved the excitement that she had of being with Jesus, about seeing Jesus. Being with the Lord should excite, we should wait with eager excitement that Jesus, we're going to be with him again. But remember, even though we might be excited about us being with Christ, we also need to remember that when that day of the Lord comes, where, again, where are our neighbors going to be? It shouldn't just be about us escaping the problems of this world to be with Jesus. It should be our love for him. Again, he is highlighting loving Christ. The according, verse 13, the promise that we're waiting for this new heavens and new earth. And I'm excited next week for Pastor Kyle to come and share from Revelation about the new heavens and the new earth. And I hope it just gets you even more excited about Christ returning. But why are we really actually excited about the coming of Jesus as Christians? We're excited because God's word said it would happen. If God's word didn't say it would happen, or if some other random person said it would happen, we'd be like, well, maybe. We'll see. It might. I don't know. But because God said it's going to happen, it will. So that's why we get excited about it. We, We are urgent with the gospel Because of the dissolving of the earth. Why? Because God said it would happen. We look forward to this new heavens and this new earth. Why? Because God said it is coming. The power is in his word declaring what will be, what will happen. We trust in it. We change our lives and we grow more in Christ because God's word said it's going to happen. That's why there's a common phrase out there. If God said it, I believe it. I hope that's true of you as well. If God said it, I believe it. Maybe you are wondering about the Bible's accuracy. You might be concerned, like, is God's word really true? There's a few books I want to commend to you and encourage you to read that might encourage you. Obviously, read the word. Read the Bible. The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. He came in as a skeptic journalist saying, I don't know if this Jesus guy is for real. He he didn't know. He was going to do some research. And through his research, he came to find he is. (laughs) Jesus is real. Everything that the Bible said was about Jesus, it happened. It was real. And he put his faith in Christ and wrote this book. I encourage you to read that. There's this guide to the Bible, visual theology, a great one if you like pictures like me. Um, You can look at that and just puts the Bible together really well to make it easy to understand how we got the Bible. And then the Bible, Can We Trust It? by Andrew Mathiasen. I encourage you to read those. But as Peter would say in verses 1 and 2, check the videotape. Look at the the prophecies of old. Look at the Old Testament. All those things that God said was going to happen and see how they did happen over and over and over and over again. 
the word is true. And so we encourage you to treasure the word of God. Peter, in his closing, sums up the entire letter, and he keeps his focus on the word of God. This letter to the believers is not just to show that the Bible has everything you need for life and godliness, which it does show that. It's not just to show that the Bible is exalted above human experience, which it does. It's not just to show the devastation that can come in your life when you are enslaved to a false word, chapter 2. It's not just to show that God's word is going to last, the eternality of the word of God. This letter is meant to draw the readers closer to the word by doing all those things. Looking at all of it, the authority, the power, the eternality, all of it to draw you closer to the word and closer to Christ. We are to see that we as Christians cannot live without the Bible. If a Christian were to come to me and they have this sin struggle going on in their life, one of my first go-to questions is, how's your time in the word? What's, What's your relationship with the Bible? Now, it's not that the Bible is a magic pill that if you just read a verse, it magically keeps sin away. But through the power of the word, by reading the truth and having it change your heart and your mind, it does keep sin away. We read earlier in our service from Psalm 119, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. So we trust in the word. We lean on the word. It's not just a magic pill. If I just read it, I'll never sin again. But we have it envelop our lives. We surround ourselves with the word of God. So show us that we don't take the word of God for granted. Again, it's more than just facts about God. It's to draw us to God. It's to make you long for the word. And then Peter offers these challenges to the reader as he closes out the letter. In light of the word coming true again and again and again for all eternity, he gives them these challenges and I will give them to you as well. Be holy, waiting on scripture fulfillment. Look at verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Be diligent. We are waiting for the day of the Lord. Ultimately, we're waiting on God's word to finally come to completion. That's an exciting moment. Think about all those people throughout history who have been waiting on the coming of Jesus throughout all the Old Testament, pointing to Christ, pointing to Christ, waiting, 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 and then he came. The rejoicing that was there of Jesus, finally, the word finally coming true, seeing that Jesus is fulfilling scripture here. We should have that same excitement, that same eagerness waiting on the Lord. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Because then when he comes, oh man, how exciting that will be. So be holy. Live for Christ as you wait on scripture to be fulfilled. Do you long for that day? Count your opportunities. Again, as you're waiting on scripture to be fulfilled. It says, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. The patience of the Lord, count it as salvation. Count it as your opportunity to go and share Christ. As you have an opportunity this afternoon, this evening, this week, 
to share Christ with somebody. Don't just focus on yourself, saying, I'm just patiently waiting in the Lord so that I can be free of this life and just be with Jesus forever. You should be excited about that, but don't just focus on yourself in this coming of the day of the Lord. Who needs Christ? Who needs to know Jesus? Who needs to be saved from this wicked, um, from their wickedness and this judgment coming to them? The lake of fire is coming because God's word said it's coming. Count the patience of the Lord as salvation. Don't get twisted by false teachers, by not knowing the scriptures. Look at verse 16 and 17. As he does in all his letters, when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. Isn't that encouraging to read? Even Peter, he's like, he's like, man, when Paul's writing things, it's kind of hard to get sometimes. That's encouraging to me, because sometimes when I read through Romans, I'm like, whoa, what, huh? Let me, I need to read that again and again and again. I need to understand it, because sometimes it is hard to understand. But he says, here's what the ignorant and unstable do with that. Because some things might be hard to understand, he says, they twist it to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Then he's telling you, beloved, therefore, knowing this beforehand, that these people are going to take the scriptures that are hard to understand, twist it up to try to persuade you to leave the gospel, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Sometimes we're tempted to make scripture say what we want it to say, right? The famous verse, I can do all things through Christ. That means I can win the game, jump higher, run faster. That's not what it means. Don't twist scripture. But make sure that you have your feet set on the solid ground of the word. And if it is hard for you to understand, maybe you read it and you're like, I don't get it. Talk to somebody who does, please. Don't just let that go and say, oh, well. Talk to myself, one of the other pastors. We would love to share with you and help you to understand the word so that you don't get caught up, that you lose your own stability, that you get swept away in false teachings and false doctrines. We want you to know the word. So set your feet on the solid ground of the word. Know it. We want you to love Jesus more at the other end of understanding his word more and more. And then grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus through the scriptures. Verse 18 says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. How do we do that? How can you grow in your love and grace and knowledge of Jesus by avoiding the Bible? You can't. You can't love Jesus more and more with avoiding and staying away from God's word. How can you get more knowledge of your Lord without staying away from the, with staying away from the knowledge of the word, knowledge of the Lord? But there's no way for you to not love Jesus more when you dive into scripture searching for him, desiring to know him to love him more and more. You're going to just find yourself more in love with the word of God, with Jesus, with God. So dive in. Don't take the summer off. Don't think, well, I put in my time this year, so I'm going to take the summer off from Jesus. Summer off from reading the Bible. And it's easy in the summer because our schedules are always different, right? We're vacationing. We don't have school. To, we don't have our normal routine. So it's easy for the word of God to kind of get pushed to the side. Don't let that happen. Don't let it happen. Make yourself the purposeful decision to stay in the word. And then direct your glory to Jesus. 
because of the revelation of the scripture. He says, to him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. The point of the entire Bible is to point you to Christ. Without it, really, what would we know about Jesus? We, wouldn't, we would know that we're sinners, but we wouldn't know really how to take care of our own sin if it weren't for Scripture, weren't for the Word of God. have to maybe trust in stories passed down from generation to generation, and how reliable is that? We know how the game of telephone works. It's hard to keep that same story going. God wrote it down for us, His Word. Know it, understand it, learn from it. And point all of your glory to God because he has written it for us. We are such a blessed generation to have so many copies of the word. Have it so easily accessible to us. I want you to remember as we begin to close our time this morning. And then the choir is going to come up during our prayer. That we have the word of God. It will last until eternity. You can trust it. You can rely upon it. It is not going anywhere. And I hope you long to see God's word come to that final completion on the day that we will be with him forever and ever. But our prayer for you is for this summer. Read the word more. Read the word just a little bit more than you have been. Trust in it. Love Jesus more through your study. Let's pray. Lord, we as a body acknowledge that your word is central to our ministry here. But we confess that far too many times it is not central in our daily lives. Lord, how many times have we not read your word? Have we just taken it too lightly that um, our hearts haven't fully believed maybe that your word always comes true? How many times do we disregard the power and impact of your word? Lord, don't allow us to walk away from the word this morning with a calloused heart. Convict us. Change us. Help us to see your word as Isaiah wrote, where he declared that as this rain and the snow come down from heaven and don't return there but water the earth, make it bring forth and sprout, give me seed to the sower, bread to the eater, so shall your word be that goes from your mouth. Lord, it shall not return to you empty but it shall accomplish that which you purpose and shall succeed in the thing which you have sent. And we pray that we will have the same heart that David had when he wrote, more to be desired is your word than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Lord, let your word richly dwell in our hearts and let it proceed from our mouths, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.